Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, and welcome to Sleep Success, my new health and wellness podcast, where I'm going to share 23 years of expertise working with people to overcome their challenges at night. During these stressful times, we're all experiencing new forms of disruption and difficulties. So I'm here to help you rest easier so you can live better and attain sleep success. The guest I'm going to have on later in this episode definitely is someone who has helped millions live better. My good friend Dave Asprey is going to join me. He's a multiple New York Times bestselling author and a lifestyle influencer who coined the term biohacking, which focuses on improving the mind and the body. He's going to share his journey and insights into how sleep can improve the individual. But first, let's get to the wake-up call. I thought we would start this segment with a nod to science. A pioneer in sleep study passed away recently, Dr. William DeMent, a medical professor from Stanford who opened what was called the world's first sleep disorders clinic in 1970 in Walla Walla, Washington. He wrote multiple books, over 500 scientific articles, hosted lectures, and called America the most sleep-deprived country in the world. Thanks to him, many advances were made in the sleep space. Our next story comes from the world of cannabis. While there are definitely safe and helpful uses of cannabis to help with sleep, a recent study from the University of Colorado showed that prenatal cannabis use could lead to sleep problems in children. The study found that women using cannabis while pregnant were significantly more likely to report their children having sleep difficulties later in life. Although the research doesn't establish causality between prenatal cannabis exposure and developmental sleep problems, it is a flashing warning sign. Finally, in tech sleep news, a startup called Tatch is building a lightweight, wearable patch that can help users gather data needed to diagnose sleep disorders. Things like sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, insomnia, and respiratory illness. So it's different than the Apple Watch or the Fitbit that tracks your sleep. Tatch is focused on ensuring not just showing how you sleep, but helping identify specific problems. They're hoping to hit the market in 2021. Now that you're awake from some of the news, let's dive into a fascinating sleep story. Joining me for what is going to be a fantastic conversation is actually one of my old and dear friends, uh, Dave Asprey. Now, Dave is actually one of the smartest and innovative people I know, three times New York Times bestselling author, Silicon Valley technical investor, and wildly successful entrepreneur who started Bulletproof Coffee. Um, but I like him because I just know him as Dave. And Dave is my friend, and Dave is one of the top biohackers in the world, and he's created things like the Bulletproof Diet. He's he's actually got a tremendous number of products out there that are really good, do real science, and have a lot of fun to them. So I'm here to talk to my good buddy, Dave Asprey. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm really happy that you stepped up and you started to do a podcast. It's a ton of work, and already from preparing for the show, I can tell you're doing it right, so this is going to be good. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. So look, I know I know you and a lot of my listeners know you, but there are some people out there, believe it or not, who may not know a lot about you and Bulletproof and things like that. So, I mean, let's be honest, you've built a brand around the idea that people can take control and improve their biochemistry. And, you know, I'm a big fan. So um, how can you? Well, let's let's back up. When and how did you come to this realization that you could do DIY health? I got started on this, this biohacking journey. Uh, in fact, I created the term biohacking. It's even in the dictionary as a new word in the English language in Merriam-Webster's. 
And, and I, the reason I did it is because I used to weigh 300 pounds because I used to sleep like garbage, <laughs> like five minutes of deep sleep, five minutes of REM sleep uh, kind of things. I had uh, been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. I did have toxic mold exposure. And I was able to recover from those things by, well, doing what the doctor said, finding out that it didn't work. I exercised an hour and a half a day, six days a week for 18 months, half cardio, half weights, went on a low-fat, low-calorie diet at the same time. And at the end of all of that, you think, you know, victorious, Dave. No, I still weighed 300 pounds. I had a 46-inch waist, and I could max out all the machines at the gym. Jesus. And of course, if you believe what's out there, I had a willpower problem. It was a moral failing. I should have been eating less lettuce. And it was one day I looked around and I'm like, wait a minute. All my friends are eating double Western bacon cheeseburgers. I exercise more than all of them. I'm having the chicken salad with no dressing and no chicken. Right? And, and this is not that I failed. It's that it didn't work. And I had managed to lose 50 pounds on the Atkins side. The other 50 pounds wouldn't budge. And that always happens on low carb. And it happens on dirty keto, which is kind of a bastardization of the bulletproof principles that have been out there for 10 years. And the, the book has helped people lose a million pounds, the Bulletproof Diet Book, which done 200 million cups of Bulletproof coffee, which is what lets people enter intermittent fasting with no problem. But I wanted, I wanted to bring a community together. How do you get the bodybuilders who are incredible? Well, okay, if you're a kombucha mom... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you probably are not like, you know, okay, I'd like to raise my butt an inch or two, but really I don't want to get swole. Right. I, and I don't want to be a fitness model. I, I just want energy at the end of the day. Like I'm juggling a job and I'm juggling my family and my friends and my community and my spirituality. And, and, you know, if you're any, anyone in any, any position in life, what you really are looking for is control of your own biology. You want to look the way you want to look, you want to feel the way you want to feel, and you want to know that you have more energy than you need to handle what's coming at you today. Whether it's some crazy virus, whether it's screaming children, or a boss <laughs> who's yelling at you, it doesn't matter. And that's what united bodybuilders and neuroscientists and Navy SEALs and some of the world's top meditation masters um, who've all come on my show. I've had 700 plus interviews with people who have cracked the code of being a better human. And that's what biohacking is. And for me, I started out, I ended up spending a million dollars and I just measured my arterial flexibility this morning. Wow. And for, it is actually, uh, let's see, I'm 47 today and it says I'm 24 years old when it looks at my art artery stuff. When I measure my brain performance on a scale of how slow is your brain response time, it predictably goes up with age, except I have a 20 year old response time in my brain. <laughs> like, okay, I, I feel <laughs> like some of this stuff is working. And it came through mastery of this idea that you change the environment around you and inside of you to get control of your biology. It's not that you just want it. It's that you make conscious choices. And most of the time, people are doing things that are kryptonite for them, whether it's for their sleep, whether it's for their diet, whether it's for their emotional well-being, or whether it's for their spiritual practice or their community. It's because we didn't look at it from a what's in it for me. We weren't selfish enough or we weren't conscious enough to say, you know, I'm going to save four minutes a day on my meditation practice. Why would you do that? Well, four minutes a day, if you add it up over the course of a year, that's actually 24 full hours, which is equal to three workdays. So you save four minutes a day on anything or get four minutes less sleep, but you got such better sleep, you're okay. You get that back as time for you. 
And so for me, it's been a very rigorous practice and I've got 3,000 blog posts and 700 episodes and multiple books, almost a two-year degrees worth of content that I've put out there because I had to learn it for myself. But now I'm 10.1% body fat. I'm never hungry. I exercise less probably than most people on here. I exercise very consciously when I do it. And you know what? I feel like I've got this now and I'm sharing it. That's That's the path. All right. So, you know, I got to ask the question you've dialed in. It sounds like exercise, nutrition. I know you've started to dial in your sleep as well. For folks out there who may not have a million dollars to spend, tell us a little bit about what you've learned about sleep. And then what are some of the things that people that you think people can start to do today that could be active and helpful for their sleep? Some of the original posts on the internet about how to hack your sleep that have been, you know, copied and copied and copied and echoed throughout and sort of changed the conversation about it were from like 2011, 2012, when I first started blogging. Because when I, when I first came out, I was like, guys, I'm going to run an experiment. And I am going to eat 4,500 calories a day of my new diet, this Bulletproof diet thing. That's a lot. And I'm going to cut my sleep to five hours a night or less on purpose. I will never sleep more than five hours a night. Uh, and I'm going to stop exercising. <laughs> now... <laughs> The reason I was doing this was I wanted to do it just for 30 days. And I was going to say, well, I only gained three pounds. But according to all the math, this calories in, calories out garbage, which is just not how our bodies work, right? Uh, then I should have gained 20 pounds. And I could say, how, how is this possible? What happened? Well, what actually happened is at the end of that, I had gotten leaner. <laughs> I was feeling really good. And I said, all right, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I did it for longer. And by the way, it's a bad idea to eat more calories than you need. And it's a bad idea to sleep five hours or less. And it's a bad idea to stop exercising. So I did start exercising again and I did eventually modulate my sleep. But I started Bulletproof, which is now we've raised you know, 70 plus million dollars in venture capital and, and it's a, a very successful company. So I started that while working full time as a vice president at a publicly traded computer security company. So I'm a computer hacker and a biohacker at the same time. Uh, so... My take on sleep was don't waste my time with sleep. And that's not healthy, uh, to be perfectly honest. What it evolved to over the past eight or nine years was how do I get more sleep in less time, right? And that's a very different perspective. And of course, I have an aura ring on right now. You probably have one as well, right? I do. Okay. I was CTO and co-founder of one of the wristband tracking companies called Basis. Intel bought that company for $100 million. And we were the first company to get heart rate off your wrist the way your Apple Watch does today. And so I got into sleep there. And I actually run a neuroscience institute that does five-day intensive brain upgrades called 40 Years of Zen. So I have access to brain imaging, access to all this cool stuff that it's like, I sometimes feel like I'm, uh, I'm living in a science fiction movie. And what it comes down to is how much REM sleep and how much deep sleep could I get in the amount of time that I slept? Right. And the thing that inspired me the most, Michael, was a study where they collected data in the 80s. And it was from 1.2 million people. And it was very fine grained to see how much data. In fact, there was so much data, computers in the 80s couldn't crunch it. So some researcher found the data and said, oh, let's try and run this through a cloud computing thing on Amazon. And they're like, oh, what do you know? People who live the longest, we're talking about dying from all causes, they sleep six and a half hours a night. People who sleep eight hours a night die more than people who sleep seven hours a night. Now, clearly, getting less sleep makes you live longer, right? 
Okay. <laughs> Not necessarily. No. And, and that's the causation versus correlation. So getting less sleep didn't cause them to live longer. Being healthy caused them to live longer. And when you are healthy, you need less sleep. So I started searching for the metabolic ways to improve my sleep. And everything you do as a human being, Michael, is ultimately powered by electrons, the same ones that power your phone. And your body's core job, when you break everything down, is the same as all, all animal-based life forms, or actually even all plant-based life forms. You convert air and food into electrons. And for us, you know, we're using the oxygen part of the air. Plants use carbon dioxide, but it's the same thing. If you're really good at that and you have enough electrons, when you go to sleep, your body can do repair processes faster. Right? Your brain activity is better. You can pump the fluid in and out of your brain that washes the toxins out of your brain at night. People are like, what? Yeah, it's called the glymphatic system. We didn't know it existed until about, what, six years ago? Yeah, about that. Uh, and it's, it's crazy because when your energy is high, not because you had coffee before bed, but because you actually have cells that work well because you're burning some fat and some carbs because your metabolism is fixed. So I was pre-diabetic. I had high risk of stroke and heart attack. I had the worst things you could have, arthritis when I was 14. If I can do this and I can get to the point where I wake up in six and a half hours without an alarm clock, I'm like, yeah, hour and a half, two hours of deep sleep, hour and a half of REM. I'm pretty sure that you can pull that off too. But I did have to become militant about my sleep hygiene. And I take my supplements before I go to sleep and I control my light exposure, which for me is terribly important. And I've, I've just been sharing this. So for me, deep sleep is largely influenced by light and REM sleep is largely influenced by whether you get to sleep in enough. And for me, I get my REM sleep because it takes supplements. If I don't take supplements, my REM sleep is like half hour, 45 minutes. If I take the right supplements, I end up getting up to um, usually an hour and a half to two hours of REM. And uh, I, those are not supplements that I manufacture largely. Um, those are like mushroom extracts from Australia and things like that. So, so if you were talking with people, you know that light is a big deal. Um, and you and I have talked, we've had multiple discussions about light and you're mentioning how light is important. How do you control the light around you? What kind of tools do you use? Products do you use? Things like that, that people can know. Well, one of the things that is most impactful for me, and I, I only start companies to make stuff that I can't buy. <laughs> so right. um, that's, it's otherwise, Hey, thank you for doing the work. I, I do that. My company called True Dark makes glasses that are designed for sleep. I hold the patent on these. And there are four frequencies of light that control the timing system in your, uh, in your body. And when I wear these, I can measure changes in my brain waves within 15 minutes where you, your beta drops. It's almost like noise-canceling headphones for your eyes. Every single night, I wear these glasses for at least an hour and usually two hours before bed. And True Dark... Uh, makes a kind of light bulb called, funny enough, True Light. And these are light bulbs that are designed by the people who did the lighting on the space station. And as you go into the evening hours, your eyes look for three things. They're constantly looking. 5% of the cells in your eyes, you never even get to see the light that they pick up. They bypass the part of your brain that lets you see, and they go directly into the timing system. And they look at three things, and you got to control all three of these. One of them is the intensity of the light. How bright is the light? So even if you've got red light, which generally is okay at night, if it's super bright, the brightness alone can, yep. can tell your body, hey, 
in nature, there'd never be something. It's not like glowing algae or moonlight. Right. This is, you know, this is like a spotlight. Okay. Something must be daytime. It's just trying to figure out if I can tell my organs and my skin and my little power plants, Hey, could you like go to sleep or wake up? And it gets confused by this. So one is it is intensity. The other one that's really important is color of light. And so blocking blue light raises melatonin. And a lot of people um, ha- have learned that. And that's a great way to get started. Just block blue. What the, the true dark glasses do though, is they block the other spectrums that are shown not to have a melatonin effect, but to have a timing effect on the body. Things like blue, green, even amber has an effect. And so does uh, purple or violet. So we do that. And so now you got color and intensity. And the third thing is angle of light. And it's this, that last one angle only was discovered about two years ago by Sachin Panda at the Salk Institute. And that one's very interesting because think about it. Okay. You're walking around during the day and your eyes, which aren't very smart, they're independently trying to figure out what time of the day it is without your intelligence. If the sun's directly overhead, is it daytime, right? If it's sunset, oh, it's coming at it at an angle. It's turned into the red and yellow and amber colors. So it's like, it's a, it's a symptom that, or a signal that says, go down. So the sunset glasses, the, the true dark ones, like the ones you've got, um, they're designed to cover all three of those things at the, at the same time. And I have found transformative changes in my sleep from doing that. And there's dimmer switches in my house. I use the true light bulbs now because as they dim, they naturally turn into sunset color spectrum, which is really, really cool. Uh, and so that's been my whole practice. My kids do it. Get this. My kids are 11 and 13. You know how many times they've woken up in the middle of the night and come into our room and say, I can't sleep? Hopefully zero. Zero. <laughs> in 13 years, maybe there's once or twice like my tummy hurts right. or something, but we know right, how to right, feed right. them. So that's rare. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that you see, it's because you have a nightlight in your kid's room. It's because there's an LED light because you have bad curtains. My kids' rooms are pitch black. They're not afraid of the dark because that's how you sleep in a cave. And in the bathroom, there's a red light. Now it's one that we actually make with, with a true light, but it's a red nightlight because a, a dim red nightlight doesn't disrupt your sleep at all. So when a five-year-old gets up and pees on their own and goes back to bed and you get to sleep, you just fix your sleep hygiene. It's so cool. Yes. Right? And if they turn on the lights, of course, they're not going to want to go to sleep. And of course, they're going to come and they're going to wake you up. So our whole house is like calm at night. That looks like a submarine. You got to. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So our house is is absolutely the same way. So yeah. now here's the okay. So let's we're talking about houses for just a second. And I know that historically you had a pretty significant situation with mold that had a very um, impactful effect on you and your sleep. And that's not something that we've talked about here on Sleep Success oh, yeah. before. So I'd love for you to go in and help us understand, number one, what kinds of molds um, are we looking for here that can be disruptive to our overall health? And then are there any specific to sleep? Toxic mold in your home or in schools or your workplace is a massive issue across the world, a massive issue. I did a documentary, it's called Moldy Movie, and it's, uh, it's free for viewing moldymovie.com, and it'll take about an hour to watch. And I've got a dozen doctors, including brain doctors and neuroscientists talking about this, and a dozen people who've been affected, uh, including a husband and wife couple, where they're both medical doctors. And she was convinced because she had a dozen symptoms, including destroyed sleep, that she must be crazy, because you can't have a dozen symptoms if you're, you know, the doctors know that means you're a hypochondriac, right? But she, her temperature was too high, so she knew it was real. She biopsied all the organs in her body, 
which is a really painful process. And after two years of just hell, realized it was the mold in the house. And when they moved out, she got better. And her husband, who's also a doctor, is sitting there going, I never felt anything. <laughs> so, right. But I know it was real because I could see it. And it's that different people do different things. If you move into a new house, you sleep somewhere, or you've been in a different environment during the day, and you go home, and you have vivid, weird nightmares, uh, restless legs that don't normally occur, mm. uh, and you wake up feeling hungover, then you got exposed to toxic mold. Your body senses that something just poisoned your energy production system. Because we're powered by ancient bacteria embedded in our cells, those things I, I talked about earlier, the mitochondria. Well, the ancient enemy of bacteria is mold. And that's what antibiotics are, is mold poison. So they slow down your ability to make energy, and your body's like, something's trying to kill me. Let's have a dream about you know, dragons or whatever the heck you dream about. <laughs> and it's really vivid, and it's your warning system trying to happen. But something even worse will happen. And it's that when we sleep well, we breathe through our nose and we don't snore. If you have toxic mold, your nose will be clogged up at night and you'll go, and there you go. You've just started snoring again. I used to snore about 45 minutes a night. I don't have apnea and I have been tracking my sleep every night with gadgets for 14 years. Uh, so I, I just believe that that data is some of the most important and easiest to gather. I used to have to have a headband and all, but with an aura ring, it's just meaningless. Um, aura rings are a lot more attractive for other bedroom relations than a headband. I'll just tell Indeed. you. <laughs> now, um, there's nothing like, you know, wires getting in your way. Right. And I, I look at what happens from that snoring. Well, it destroys oxygen in the brain. Uh, your oxygen levels go down and then your brain just doesn't have what it needs. So what I ended up doing was finding out that I had a jaw alignment problem and I had toxic mold. So you get rid of the mold in your house and then you move the jaw forward with a splint and all of a sudden your airways come up and I measure with a microphone my, my snoring. I don't snore at all anymore. It's like one minute maybe. And that's, even that's unusual. How did you get rid of the toxic mold? Well, that's a big thing. And moldymovie.com covers some of that stuff. Oh, okay. But what I had to do was fix the house. So if you know you're in a moldy house and you're having sleep problems, well, there you go. The problem is it's expensive, but it's destroying people's lives. It's destroying their health. It's causing cancer. It's causing metabolic dysfunction. It's destroying sleep. And worst of all, it makes it feel impossible to get anything done. So you're just like, I just, it's too much work. I couldn't move. But the reality is you could, if the house had burned down, you'd find a way. And right. having a house full of mold is a lot like a house that burned down. So what you do is you find out where it's coming from and how extensive it is. You repair that part of the house or more to the point, you have someone wearing a hazmat suit do it and actually put on hazmat suits uh, in this movie and showed people what's going on. Uh, in my house here on Vancouver Island, we bought it and yes, we knew there was toxic mold because there always is. Right. <laughs> so we had to take off two of the outside walls because they'd been stuccoed wrong and we got rid of it all and you control humidity. And the big thing is, okay, maybe you have something, but you're just not in a position to do that. I eventually said, look, it's ridiculous to have to tear your house down and rebuild it. And it's happened to me twice. In fact, I just bought a, a new home and we were going to move in until we found out that it's full of mold. We couldn't see it. You don't see it, but you can sense it in the air with mold testing called an ERMI test. So what are we going to do? What's that we're test called? An ERMI. E-R-M-I. ERMI test. Okay. Yeah. And there's a variety of ways to do it. And so I, I said about five years ago, I'm going to hack mold. I'm so tired of it making schools un, uninhabitable. Kids can't pay attention in a moldy place because the body's like, what is that? 
I know there's something getting me. And it's a major trigger of ADD, sleep disruption, nightmares, emotional anxiety, all that kind of stuff. So I made a company called Home Biotic. And Home Biotic is a, actually it's nine different strains of bacteria from the soil that eat mold as a fuel source. So I now, every couple of weeks, I missed one little $29 bottle covers 1,500 square feet. It's meant to be, okay, I can't move. I want to at least make sure that the stuff can't grow in my home. So you missed it around anywhere there might be moisture. So under my sinks, around all the doors, and I live in a rainforest and I'm sensitive to mold. <laughs> right? I grew up in a basement that had water damage and I can do it because I have air filters and because I use homebiotic everywhere. And that has been a really big game changer for me. And it has improved my sleep quality. Amazing. So we've got blue light blocking glasses to help with the lighted environment. We've got um, the home biotic as a possibility to help us with mold and dealing with that from an environmental issue. Now, one of the things you, you did briefly mention um, before was crazy times that we're going through right now, right? And with COVID and what's going on with quarantine and the pandemic and things like that. What are some of the things that you're seeing from a science perspective, um, from a biohacker's perspective that we can start to maybe think about? I, I know, for example, that melatonin is being thought of as being used in some very interesting ways with COVID because of the cytokine storms that melatonin seems to be able to modulate. What are some of the things that you're seeing in your readings nowadays? Well, we definitely know that COVID dreams are a real thing. Yes, they are. <laughs> and and I, I don't have those, but these are a manifestation of, you know, of a fear of doom. And the easiest way to solve that is stop doom scrolling, uh, which is basically watching the media over and over and over just drive fear into you. There's some things, you know, like recently, Florida had a record day of, of infection. No, they didn't. They had a record day of doing more tests than they'd ever done in all of history. And on that day, with 150,000 or however many, 115,000, something like that test, they had more positives because they had more tests. But the media is not your friend on this, on this no. perspective. So you will dream less about this stuff when you realize, I'm safe. Like, if you just look at the overall percentages, unless you're in a high-risk group, look, it's a serious thing. You don't want to get it and you don't want to give it to other people and all that kind of stuff, but you're still safe, right? You can drive without a seatbelt and you'll probably be okay, right? So, so there's a, a, a lot of fear going around that is a part of it. But then you look at the cytokine storm. For 25 years, I have been involved in the anti-aging movement and you know, biohacking before we had a name for functional medicine. The entire time, there's been a few cutting edge doctors who really know how the human body works who tell you, oh, if you're getting a cold, colds are caused by viruses and a third of them are caused by the coronavirus family in case you guys, you know, didn't know that reminder, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, or if you're just getting sick or you're dealing with lots of inflammation or even if you have cancer, hey, take 30 milligrams, which is approximately 100 times the amount of melatonin that your body produces. You produce about 0.3 milligrams at night. Yep. And you take that and magically all this crazy inflammation just goes down. It's a massive anti-inflammatory antioxidant that nobody really knows about. <laughs> yeah, especially in the brain, uh, the, the yeah. pineal gland. And, and so it's one of the many things. In fact, I did a whole podcast on Bulletproof Radio about something called IL-6. And there are 40 known plant compounds. This is the inflammatory cytokine that causes the cytokine storm. And so what that means is, okay, if you wake up feeling puffy, if your muffin top is bigger in the morning than it was at night, you're probably eating something or breathing something that is causing you to have that problem. But even given all of that, 
what are you going to do about it? And you can shut off the inflammatory cytokines using plant compounds. Andrographis is the most powerful one um, that's documented specifically for the one inflammatory cytokine that's most important if you were to get sick. And uh, from my perspective, I formulated a specific stack of anti-inflammatory herbs for my own toxic mold exposure that turn off other inflammatory cytokines. Oh. And it's a Bulletproof product. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm the chairman and founder of Bulletproof. Uh, not uh, uh, not running it as CEO, and uh, still though the things that I formulate are there, and it's called uh, Curcumin Max. So it's got turmeric in it, and there is no claim here that turmeric cures some <laughs> virus. That's not what it's about. It's like, look, I wanted to lower my body's inflammatory response to anything, including the fact that I ate French fries. Right, including the fact that I had wine. By the way, all alcohol will destroy your sleep. One drink of alcohol before bed, just track it, it is incredibly obvious. You want to have a healthy glass of wine every night, do it after you're dead because right. it's, it's going to take something away. You know, Do it once a week and then take a bunch of stuff to recover the next day, that's fine. But it is not a nightly thing unless you really don't care about your sleep. And, and so we, we just go like, okay, maybe it was alcohol that was inflammatory. Whatever it was, let's Let's handle inflammation because it makes your brain inflamed. You get muffin top in the brain. A lack of sleep <laughs> will cause brain muffin top, but brain muffin top will cause a lack of sleep. So let's hit that inflammation. And if I'm telling you, if your butt and your love handles are bigger in the morning, your sleep quality was not as good as it should have been. If they're the same size when you wake up as they were when you went to bed, then your inflammation's under control. So most people listening, you know, you got to wake up and kind of move around a little bit. Well, there you go. So I know that you've got kids because I've got kids and we've talked about our kids before. Kids are having a really tough time with sleep during the pandemic right now. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed it. We've noticed it here at our house, even though my kids are 18 and 16, I'm still trying to keep maintain that schedule. And by the way, I love your idea of a media diet. I get I ask all my patients to do a media diet of 90 to 120 minutes before bed. Like the last thing you need during arguably the most anxious time in our lives is to add more anxiety to the fire right before bed. Um, but what are you what are you doing with your kids um, and talking with them about sleep or or ha have you guys talked um, you know with other people about what are they doing with their kids and sleep during the pandemic? I've I had a lot of conversations with uh, bulletproof followers and you know, people who come to my pages on Instagram uh, and uh, YouTube channel and things like that. And it's really interesting. It depends so much on the age of the children. Yeah. And what kids really want to do is they really want to feel safe when they're younger. And so the bottom line is that line about seatbelts. Look, if you ride in a car without a seatbelt, you're dumb. Right. Okay. But you're probably not going to die. Okay. So is it safe to ride in a car without a seatbelt? Yes, it is safe. Is it as perfectly safe as it could be? No. And even a four-year-old can grasp that idea. And, and you will go back and forth a few times, but you said it was safe because they haven't understood that safety is on a slider switch. And you can just, you can explain that. You know, okay, is the light on or is it off? Well, it's halfway on. There you go, right? And once that lands in their little brains, you say, okay, so like, let's talk about this, right? You know, the odds of this virus, you know, getting you or something like that? No. Like, Pretty like, slim. You know, it, they're exceptionally slim. That said, you know, should you wash your hands? Yes. Why do we wash our hands? Why do we wear masks or, or other things like that? Um, well, if you're in an area where the virus exists, you do that because you care about your elders. Right. This is a time to teach your children at a young age to venerate old people. You know why? 
because old people have all the knowledge. They've already done all the stupid crap that I'm going to do. <laughs> right. And I'm, you know, I'm 47, right? Happy um, birthday, by the way. You what? Happy birthday, by the oh, way. Oh, today's not my birthday, but you know, yeah. it's uh, whatever. <laughs> I was just figuring out the other day, like, how old am I? Because you sort of forget at a certain point. But I, I, I regularly interview people who are in their 70s and 80s uh, on my show. You know what? They have like 30 years more experience than I do. And they're the ones who are lighting the way for me. And so I teach my kids the same thing. Like, do you want that knowledge and that care and, and that incredible wisdom from our elders? Of course you do. And that's why you wear your mask, to help other people. You want to make a kid feel good? Nice job helping little Johnny. And then they feel good. And then it was an act of service instead of an act of reactive fear. Yeah. And my kids, we actually kind of, oh, my, my daughter made a mask. She's 13. Uh, she knitted it and then she put a huge beard on it with a little purple. <laughs> ah, that's right? awesome. And, and, and it's, and she's like, can I wear this to school? I'm like, I'm not sure the school's going to like that. But where I live, I'm on an island on Vancouver Island. We have half a million people. There's 17 cases of COVID. They're on the hospital. People don't wear masks up here because there's no need to. It's actually not necessary. And so it, in Canada, it's been a little bit less reactive uh, than in the US. Uh, and so my kids, the conversation there has been very much go to sleep and they, they just aren't worried. But what is causing stress for them is I miss my friends. Yeah. Right. So in that case, we're like, we're going to have a play date. Right? right. And at first it was social distancing play dates. And then when people in the community up here realized we actually don't have an issue with this stuff. So people do quarantine if they come in or something like that. But generally we're living in a nice big bubble called Canada uh, other than maybe Toronto or something. So it's, it's been one of those things where the kids, we tell them, all right, you know, don't hug and all that kind of stuff, but you guys can play outside together. Right. And, and you pick one or two family friends and you say, all right, you know, we're going to have a shared bubble. Uh, and this is something that's happened in all pandemics, right? And these are, right. It, this is necessary for children's sanity right now. And it's necessary for parent sanity because when your friends bring their kids to your house, you're buying a ticket to take your kids to their house. And as long as you have a trustworthy family like that, then mom and dad get a break and the kids get that incredibly necessary social time and is the most important thing you can do. And frankly, if they're saying that you're not supposed to do that where you live, you know what? You're not supposed to speed either. Right. It, it, the social good, the lack of stress, the reduction in uh, yeah. and the destruction of, of our stress response, of our immune system and all that, kids need other kids. It is, it is vital. Absolutely. And it isn't something that you know, the WHO cares about because they have a, a maniacal focus on this one thing. But the system of being a human is a little bit bigger. And so don't take risks. Don't do stupid things. Uh, but letting your kids see other kids, even if it's just on Skype or Zoom or whatever, that helps. But really, there's nothing like playing. And I think that that's just worth it. To, unless you're in a place where, you know, the virus is on fire and everyone has it and, you know, it's an emergency situation. Fine. 30, 60, 90 days. But a lot of places aren't like that. And that would be my number one thing to make your kids sleep is make them go outside and run around as much as you can with another child. Movement and lo lowering the fear. I love that. Those are two. One. All right. Last question I've got for you. Since you are a known wolf like me, a night owl, I'd love to talk just for a few brief and shining moments about how you've embraced being a night owl. You and I have had many discussions, how people have told us how lazy we were, how what, you know, terrible people we were because we couldn't wake up early in the mornings. Give everybody a little bit of a peek into what that's been like for you and how you've been able to overcome that. 
The, the most important thing to understand, the, the mantra there is just the early bird works for the late bird. <laughs> I now, love that. Now, Hal Elrod, who, who wrote the book Miracle Morning, is, yep. a, is a good friend. I know Hal. And you know, he's an advocate for waking up at 5 a.m. because it works really well for him. And going back, geez, before I had kids, so this has got to be 15 years ago, I, I've been hacking my sleep for a long time just to say, how can I get better sleep in less time? Uh, I said, all right, I'm going to become a morning person. And my whole life, I have always gone to bed around 2 a.m. since I was you know, 11 years old. That's just, I'd stay up late and I'd read and then I'd get tired and I'd go to sleep. And for, for like a decade, my sleep data is like, Dave, your average bedtime is 2.05 a.m. And <laughs> I get tired at 2.03 and I'm asleep at 2.05. Like it's just done. And from that perspective, I still made myself wake up at 5 a.m. for two years. And I'd wake up and I would meditate and you can replace uh, two hours of sleep with an hour of meditation. And I, I had this whole ritual. And at the end of two years, what I really found out was that I could become a morning person and it made me less happy, less creative, more tired, and it just wasn't worth it. Nope. Right. And there's a magical thing that happens at night. I, I was up until four last night and the night before, and the night before, and the night before, I'm at the late stages of writing my next book. And my, all my creative juices happen when the moon is up. Yep. It's okay. It, it's reasonable. It's, it's how it's supposed to be for some people. And your book was really cool, The Power of When, because uh, what I found out is that it, it validated what I already knew about myself. And the idea that 15% of people were supposed to be the night watch and we're just wired that way back from cave times. Yep. Like, it's so relaxing. And that said, I was able to, um, I was able to absolutely um, change my sleep schedule. And I haven't even shared this with you, Michael. Oh. Because, uh, just because I'm a sleep hacker, because I'm interested and all this stuff with the glasses and the lights and uh, some other very advanced mitochondrial stuff, I can now comfortably go to sleep at 10.30 naturally, uh, and I can wake up at 6.30 or 7 without an alarm clock, which has never happened in my life. And frankly, I find it really disruptive right? because all my, all my good stuff happens late at night. I'm like, God, why would I be tired at 10.30? Gross. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I was able to shift it up. And part of it is I just wanted to show that I could do it. And that required NAD infusions, which is something I've written about in my anti-aging book. Yep. Uh, at careful exposure to lights, uh, timing of melatonin, and things like that. Not eating after dark is really important for your kids to sleep as well as for you. So I did all that stuff. But bottom line, being a wolf is what allows me to be creative. And there is no moral superiority to being an early bird or someone who stays up late at night. Um, but I do recommend that if you stay up late at night and you have someone who's shaming you for it, just call them at one in the morning. They'll get over it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love you. That's awesome. Thanks, Dave, for your insights. This has been an amazing conversation. I, I know that my listeners are absolutely thrilled with this. So in a quick recap, one of the things we talked about is blue light blocking glasses and just looking at light exposure in yes, the evening. Big deal. Um, that's a big, big D dimmer deal. switches, turning off lights, taping your curtains closed, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. We talked about mold, 
as another massive factor that nobody is talking about for sleep. You not only did a documentary, which by the way, I highly, highly recommend people check it out. It's free for God's sakes. Like this is moldy, moldymovie.com. Yep, absolutely. Check it out. And we'll put that in the show notes too, as well, so that people will know about it for sure. Um, And then the whole idea of embracing your chronotype. Um, is really such an important, important factor. And then we ended up getting the added bonus of what do you do about kids? And what do you think about kids and sleep? Like, how does that work in a, in a biohacker's world? And the truth of the matter is, is you didn't talk about it from a biohacker's world. You talk about it as a parent. And that's the truth of the matter is you're a parent and you take that job very seriously, as do I. And what's great about having this time in our lives is we get to spend time with our children because of the quarantine. And we get to really see them grow and mature and do all these amazing, wonderful things. I thought that your answer of settling the fear was the most important answer I've ever heard when it comes to kids and sleep and quarantine. So thanks. Oh, th- thank you, Michael. And uh, it's it's a big deal. And by the way, if you're going to do that for your kids, you should do it for yourself as well. Because yep. if you're feeling the fear, <laughs> your kids will pick it up. They're little little radar detectors for that. Uh, so you got you to do your own personal work there. And part of it, getting your sleep right. And you have to do the, the chronotype quiz, the one that you put out there. I didn't mention this, and I should have as, as we're finishing up the interview, but I asked all the employees in my company to do your quiz and to put it on like our HR system. You do not want to be calling your boss or texting them at night at night if they're one of those those bad morning people, <laughs> uh, uh, because your boss is going to be like, Bleh. but right. if I know that someone's regularly up till midnight and I'm up till midnight, I feel comfortable texting those people, not to disrupt them and take them away from their time, but if it's urgent and it's useful and they're actually very happy with it. Uh, and they also all know, don't mess with Dave you know, at eight in the morning unless it's something overseas and it's an emergency because it's just not worth it. So do it with your family, do it with your people, but your knowledge there has been really transformative for me. So it's just an honor to be on the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. And that's a great plug for the quiz. For people who want to learn about their chronotype, go to chronoquiz.com. And if people want to learn more about you, Dave, I mean, to be honest, it's hard for people not to know about you, but there are just a few people out there who may not know of some of the latest, greatest things that you've got going. By the way, if you look in his book, Game Changers, I am law number 13, I believe it is. I think so. Um, in there. So definitely check out Dave's books. Dave, if people want to learn more about you, about biohacking, about Bulletproof, where do they go? What do they learn? The best thing you can do is go to daveasprey.com slash uncensored. And the reason for that, you sign up there, I will send you an email and I can send you stuff, an email that I cannot post on the blog and I can't post on social media because today a lot of content, especially about things that actually work, uh, it just gets blocked or instead of being blocked, it just gets pushed down to you know page 70 on Google. So you'll never find it anymore. And uh, this is a recent shift, uh, but it's really important. So daveasprey.com slash uncensored. And of course, Bulletproof Radio is my podcast with a couple hundred million downloads and and you know cruising along. So I, I would love to share this knowledge with people. I go far beyond sleep. Uh, and I also believe sleep's important. You've been on, I think, twice. Uh, on the show and uh, I'm sure you'll be on again. So thanks, Michael. Yeah. So thank you, Dave, once again. And thanks to all of our listeners. Once again, this is Dr. Michael Bruce and you know me as the sleep doctor, but I'm actually just Dave Asprey's sleep buddy and friend. <laughs> thanks again, Dave, for having for being on the show. We really appreciate you. Happy to be here for you. 
I always love it when Dave drops some knowledge bombs on me. It's pretty amazing the detail that he goes into and the understanding that he has within the biohacking universe. First of all, I thought it was incredible that he taught us so much about light and how light has effects on sleep and his true dark glasses, which I could, as I said before, I use those on airplanes as well. The most thing, the thing I felt really shined through for me was learning more about mold and how does mold have an effect on our sleep and what can we actually do about that? That I found truly fascinating. And of course, his big thing for me is chronotypes. He's a chronotype like me. He's a night owl or what we call a wolf. And he's one of the only people who's actually chronotyped his entire company um, in terms of learning and being able to adjust to be able to have those relationships in a better way. So what can we learn from Dave Asprey? Well, number one, we need to make sure that our home isn't preventing us from sleeping. Number two, we need to make sure that light is not preventing us from sleeping. And number three is we should definitely be going to bed at our chronotypical bedtime. Thanks, Dave. That was pretty amazing interview and definitely some knowledge bombs our way. Now on to the mailbag. Remember, any questions you have, just email me at drbreus at thesleepdoctor.com. That's d-r-b-r-e-u-s at thesleepdoctor.com. I'm looking for smart and interesting inquiries, so please send me your questions. Today, we've got Lori from Bloomfield, Michigan. And Lori asks, do you have any recommendations for sleep apps. I see a ton of them out there and I don't know how to record my sleep. You know something, Lori? One of the things that we know is that you don't have to get too fancy when you're out there looking at sleep apps and sleep trackers. To be fair, if all you did was write down what time you went to bed, how long you think you took it took you to fall asleep, number of awakenings and the time you woke up, you'd probably have plenty of data to work with. When I work with my patients, I do have a tendency to use trackers. Um, I like to use the electronic ones that they can wear. Here's why. The device that's on a person is going to collect a lot more accurate data than a device that's underneath them or in between the sheets or something along those lines. So I've had a lot of luck using devices that are actually attached to the, to the person's body. Now, to be fair, none of these are super duper accurate. All of them are going to have some fallacy here in terms of what their accuracy level is. So what do I do? I don't necessarily use the definite numbers. So if it tells me that I only got 13 minutes of deep sleep, but it tells me that every single night, I don't think I care because I know that it is consistently being inconsistent, meaning I know I got more than 13 minutes of sleep, but it doesn't seem to be tracking that. However, if I started one night with 13 minutes and then I had 111 and then the next night I had 43, then I would be interested because I'd want to know what had given me such an increase in my total deep sleep. So what you're really looking for is the changes in data, not necessarily the absolute numbers. Last thing I want to remind people when it comes to tracking is that there's actually people who get a little too involved with tracking and can end up with something called orthosomnia. This is where people become obsessed with their tracking numbers and they look at them every morning and actually they look at them throughout the night. If you think you might be one of those people, I suggest the paper and pencil measure early in the mornings. Our next question is from Grace from Dallas, Texas. And Grace writes to me and she says, I know that I need a morning routine. Dr. Bruce, do you have any go-tos for a morning routine that you think will help me? 
Absolutely, Grace, we can help you out down there in Dallas, Texas. That's not a problem. So when I wake up in the mornings, there's three things that I ask all of my patients to do. The first thing I ask you to do is to breathe. Go ahead and sit up, swing your legs over to the side of the bed, but don't get up yet and take five deep breaths in, hold them for five seconds, and then breathe out. Do this for five full cycles so you can really get oxygenated. Next, go ahead and stand up. Relax, make sure that you're balanced and grab a uh, bottle of water. Now you should have, hopefully you'll have something that you can reuse, um, but you want room temperature water. Remember sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. Most people don't know that you lose almost a full liter of water every single night just from the humidity in your breath. So you are pretty thirsty. And let me tell you something, coffee is not the answer. Drink a full bottle, maybe 16 to 20 ounces of water to rehydrate yourself. Next, walk over to the window or if you can, walk outside and do this entire routine outside in the fresh air and get 15 minutes of sunlight. Most people don't know this, but actually sunlight, when it hits the eyeball, there's special cells in your eye called melanopsin cells. These actually turn off the melatonin faucet in your brain. So if you've got brain fog in the morning, and I know a lot of people out there do, this is a great way to eliminate brain fog just by getting a little sunlight. It stops melatonin production almost immediately, and it's a great way to start your day. And finally, Javier from Boise, Idaho asks, Dr. Bruce, what is the best position to sleep in? So it turns out that different positions do different things. If you're a back sleeper, I will tell you that that is the best because you can hang your weight across the skeletal frame in the easiest way and cause the least amount of problems. Um, But to be fair, if you are sleeping on your back, um, there are some things that can happen, like an increased risk for sleep apnea. Remember, for people out there that don't remember what sleep apnea is, this is a uh, respiratory situation where you stop breathing at night. It is extremely important to get that diagnosed and treated. What are the good things about sleeping on your back? Number one, reduced neck pain. You're giving your muscles more support and less likely to strain, especially your neck. Also, better digestion. As a general rule, it's good to avoid heavy meals before going to bed, but if you're a late-night chronotype wolf like me, especially, uh, you might find it harder to avoid these late-night dinners. For those that eat later, have digestion, indigestion, or heartburn, sleeping on your back is actually the best position. And then don't forget about your youthful appearance. So it turns out that if you're a side sleeper, you kind of smush your face and can cause wrinkles. So sleeping on your back turns out to be the least wrinkly out of them all. What about stomach sleepers? I am a stomach sleeper. And let me tell you something. It's terrible. It's not good for your lower back. But some of the pros are it actually turns out to be the best position for sleep apnea sufferers. And it also can help with heartburn. Unfortunately, once again, you definitely get muscle, neck pain, and back pain, more wrinkles, and believe it or not, more restless sleep when sleeping on your stomach. Turns out that 63% of people are side sleepers, at least according to WebMD, and there's a lot of things that can be good. Number one, turns out it's good for your heart compared with other sleep positions. The side sleep position is the best for your heart because it promotes blood flow and circulation. I especially recommend the side sleep position for anyone with high blood pressure or circulatory disorders. You'll snore less, which is certainly good for your bed partner, and you'll find that you've got less back pain. One more thing I want to mention when it comes to how you sleep is your pillow is crucial. You really got to have a great pillow. And so my next question, uh, actually, that was my last question. Come back next week for my podcast and learn how to pick the greatest pillow ever. 
thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams.